Hey, I'm Aika Spencer, and I love fandom. I love the writing, some of which I create, the art, none of which I create, and the many aspects that make it up. With the pandemic in full swing, I decided the best way not to go crazy was to start a podcast around it. This one, Down the Fandom Hole, Conversations With. So putting on my big girl bra, I took a chance and reached out to other fandom creators, asking if they would like to share their voice and experiences around it. Amazingly, most of them have said yes. So taking a moment, we sit down and chat about topics like creativity, taking risks, self-care, and many more. I am humbled that I got to chat with all of these brilliant and interesting creators from around the world, and it has only cemented my belief that fandom can also be a bridge and common ground to inclusivity. We are all valid, and fandom helps us envision worlds in which we are. God, isn't fandom fucking amazing? Anyway, to keep me from rambling on, let's get this show started. On today's episode, Evil Snow Swan and I talk about what got her into fandom, what inspired something to be earned, and mentorship as a writer. I want to thank my guest for coming on today, Evil Snow Swan. Thanks and, for having me. And what are your pronouns? Uh, she, her. All right. So getting this started, let's talk a little bit about what kind of introduced you to fandom and what it is, what about it you like? If we talk fandom, we automatically going to talk fan fiction. And in a way, uh, like my first fandom actually would be years and years back. And it would be Disney's The Lion King, because I realized that was the first uh, story or fandom that I actually wrote fan fiction for mm-hmm. when I was, I think, six years old. But in terms of fandom, fandom speaking, uh, fanfic and zines and online message boards and all those things you do, uh, I would have to say it was, um, Buffy that introduced me to that. Nice. So what was it about the Buffy fandom that kind of hooked you and got you involved? I think, like, I really liked vampire stories at the time, and I liked the humor that uh, Buffy used, and I I really, I got into some of the characters, like, I really loved um, Buffy and Faith, and so that was also my shit back then. And it kind of introduced me to shipping and ship wars and all that. And, um, but what I really liked was working, um, with other fandom creators to, to make little projects. So I think nowadays these are called like big bangs and reverse big bangs, but we didn't use that terminology back then. So just have somebody make some art for your story or vice versa or, um, like work on a fanfic together I actually found an old folder with um really old fic that I used to write with somebody that I looked up to like as a wee thing I think I was 13 at the time or so and uh it was really fun because I'm working with uh the other fandom creator on that story we uh, wrote together it really helped me um work on my writing skills and I kind of miss that I think it's not really a thing these days like the 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 feeling of 
um, mentor, mentoring going on. Like you have an older dependent mentor kind of, uh, who, who's going to help you show you the ropes and everything. Like we don't do that necessarily anymore. Not like we used to back with the message boards and the, I don't know what we had. What else did we use for pick? I don't remember what the site was called, but it's really different nowadays. It is. I mean, I'm doing the reverse Big Bang right now. Are you doing that too? I can't remember if I saw your name. Yeah, um, I am. Are you doing art or writing? Uh, I'm doing art. Oh, nice. Um, I didn't know you drew. I feel like I I'm, I didn't know this. You draw? Not not anymore. I used to draw, but these days it's mostly um, like manips and like fiddling around with Photoshop and just like having fun with pictures. Oh, nice. That sounds like fun. I think where I was trying to go with it is like things like the reverse Big Bang and the Big Bang, they have the Discord servers now. So it's kind of nice to be able to go onto a server and talk to other fandom creators about what it's like to write and then kind of feeding off each other with the whole collaboration thing. And that's the aspect of the Big Bang that I actually am really enjoying. Although I don't spend a lot of time on the Discord server they have. I actually, I'm on this other server called the Prompt Party and it's a little bit smaller. So it's not so easy to get lost in things. And you end up doing like sprints with other writers, which is cool. So I guess the point I was trying to make before I think I lost it again was that through the zines that I've or the Big Bang that I'm starting to work with it looks like there's a space where people can get together and collaborate and kind of get to know each other I think that's where I was going yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think that's that's like the most amazing part of fandom is like Mm -hmm. um, getting to know people you wouldn't have otherwise met yeah and some of the time you get to meet the people like you have uh admiration for their work for and you get to talk to them and you're like oh wow this is they have like the fandom celebrity going on i think mm-hmm. so and you're like hi i'm i'm a small writer but i think you're awesome <laughs> yeah it's always it's always so like it's mortifying to talk to these writers or creators that you admire it's like hey i'm this little awkward noodle just say <laughs> hi and to tell you how much i love your big art whatever exactly yeah, but, but then you you kind of you kind of find out that they are only human too so that kind of helps right and you're just like why why did i forget that i guess because you know there's this air of mystery that goes along with things like you get to meet people through their writing and Mm -hmm. then when you're like on something like the server you get to kind of meet them through their how they message and how they kind of converse in quotation marks on the server and so it's just like adding these different layers to people and it's it's kind of cool from like just a thought point for interpersonal like with normal people, but this is online. So there's like this air of mystery even more, but then there's like this, I just don't know how to explain it. It's like this, okay, this is normalizing things a little bit, I feel, mm-hmm. in a way, you know? Definitely. 
So what kind of draws your inspiration and gets you writing stories? Like, where do you draw your inspiration from? Mostly I draw from real real life. So I will notice people around me doing things. And like, if you meet me out Mm -hmm. in the real world, sitting across from me on the train or in a cafe, you're probably going to end up in one of my stories one way or another. Mm -hmm. So I try to like incorporate these little details, like something I heard, something like some kind of music that set the mood beautifully when I was like sipping my coffee back when we did those things, sipping coffees at cafes. Um, Or like an argument I overheard on the train during my morning commute back when we did those. Uh, So really that's kind of what gets me writing. Like either it's a piece of media that I saw and that got me frustrated to the point of I need to fix this ASAP Mm -hmm. or it's something that I saw out in the real world that I thought would make for a beautiful starting point or middle point or end point to the story and I go from there. So what was kind of because I found you or I was introduced to your work through your something to be earned fic which is actually a super Rojas Corp fic where Lena and Andrea form this um, late BDSM relationship that they actually it sounds like they had prior to this and it's kind of like a guiding force in Lena's life so what was and then Kara comes in and the story kind of flourishes from there gotta read it if you haven't yet read it so what was kind of the inspiration for that story initially that was supposed to be a one shot so I didn't really put that much thought into it mm-hmm. uh when I first started writing it, it was more like I saw Lena and Andrea interact at the beginning of season five. And I got this vibe and I thought, well, I can do something with that. And someone agreed with me and then kind of prompt dared me to write the thing. So I wrote the thing. But afterwards, when I turned it into a multi-chapter, I kind of had to think about what the backstory would be. Like, how come Lena and Andrea are in this kind of relationship? What about their personalities kind of corresponds to their roles in the relationship? And how is the, like, what is each of them getting out of being in that kind of relationship? Because they they have this, like, I tagged it light BDSM because it's um, mostly domestic discipline. Mm-hmm. and like you don't get into that kind of relationship unless it's somehow beneficial to you like you wouldn't do this if you didn't get something out of it and I spend a little time thinking about like long and hard about why Lena and Andrea would do this and would probably have done this so I, um, because I kind of tried to convey that they kind of pick up an old relationship. So they've been together in the past and now um, get back into these kind of dynamics. So it's kind of pre-established, but they have to, um, because I wanted them to like get into it really quick without all the hoo-ha about consent and limits and these things that you usually would discuss before entering uh, a scenario like this. 
but then when Kara comes in, I'm kind of trying to explore like what would her role in this polycule be then? Like that's kind of what I'm going with at the moment. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the story for me is about um, about learning uh, and changing. And if the characters are exactly the same at the end of the story, like they were at the beginning, then I probably did something wrong. So I'm always trying to, like, how would the character have changed at the end of the story? Mm-hmm. That's kind of trying to figure out. Yes, I'm really excited to find out what's going on with Andrea. And, you know, how is Kara going to react to this new lifestyle that she obviously did her research on, but mm-hmm. she doesn't know. And so it's like she's going to be taught the reins of being a dom for Lena in a domestic situation. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any guesses <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's a very, I don't know, I like the lightness of the BDSM and the sweetness of it. And then you kind of get to see the quiet darkness of all the characters. Not the darkness, but you know, the shadow. Like what's going Mm -hmm. on with Andrea? What is this weird shadow she keeps seeing? And, you know, I hope that didn't spoil anything. Well, no, it didn't spoil anything. No, it didn't. Um, But like, I wanted to to touch uh, on something that you, you mentioned, like, two sentences ago about Kara because um, I thought it would be really in character for her to do her research. Mm-hmm. Like one, because she's a reporter and that's what you do. I mean, I'm a linguist. So usually some kind of language nerdery ends up in my stories. So for me, it would be natural for Kara to approach this with an open mind and then do her research. And also, it's it's kind of light and fluffy at the moment because that's kind of who Kara is. Mm-hmm. Um, like we saw her uh, grow as a person and as a superhero, but I think when it comes to exploring her sexuality and what it means to be an alien in connection to that and to love and dating, we have seen very little progress on the show. Like mm-hmm. she's been on. I don't know what, two or three dates, and then the whole thing with Monel happened. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, and also none of that was uh, about Kara and her needs and her wishes, or even her insecurities on the matter. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I, I thought it would be really inter- interesting to explore that because Kara herself, she, she kind of, she hasn't explored anything, she hasn't tried anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that she actually knows who or what she likes because, I mean, that's not the focus of the show. So I can't fault them for exploring that in like, I can't even say little the little detail that they have because they haven't really explored it at all. But mm-hmm. it's fun to do that in, in fanfic. Yeah, which is where you can do it. Yeah, at the limitlessness of what fan fiction can become and even fan art is pretty awesome you know you can you can create new worlds for them you can create new personalities almost to a degree you can have them offshoot you can send them to therapy which Kara definitely should go for definitely Mm -hmm. Definitely. you know even Lena she needs some therapy 
They like all need Andrea, therapy. Andrea, Lina, Cara, they all need therapy. I and think like Kelly can't take them, take them all. It, it just doesn't work. No, and really should, should not be trying to fix your friends in that capacity. She should be mm-hmm. like trying to send them to other places. <laughs> like, I can't be that for you. <laughs> yeah. Would be the healthiest thing to do, like set up boundaries and go, nope, you're my friends and family. I cannot treat you. Here's a number of a trusted colleague. Exactly. You know, I, I feel like I can't imagine that out of all the alien races in the galaxy that have come to Earth, there is not at least one alien <laughs> um, head shrink. I, I'm like, yeah. psychiatrist or therapist. I'm like, I feel like even in other planets, they must have had head problems or mind problems or mental issues, you know? I, exactly. That would actually be fun. I, I don't think I've read a story where where the shrink is actually alien. That's uh-huh. a really cool idea. Right? Yeah, you need one. So, but yeah. Um, so fan fiction's awesome that way, I think. And then yeah. would it be too um, uncool to ask what are your hopes for the story? Hopes? Yes. Uh, hopefully going to get finished at some point. Yes. Say that. <laughs> I tend to, like, I was so proud of myself when I wrote that one shot and it uh-huh. stayed a one shot for like a month or two. And I was so proud of myself for not turning it into another 50, 60, 90K monster because mm-hmm. that always happens and it happened. And like my hope for it is actually to get done before I lose interest because that is kind of a problem with me. If I if I lose interest, if I lose my hyper-focus, if I change fandoms, it sometimes happens that I w- will not finish a story. Like, mm-hmm. at least not in a timely manner. I'm probably going to go back to it at some point and finish it. Anybody's still there mm-hmm. who wants to read it, but my hope for now would be that I can actually finish it before I run out of steam. I have a bunch of ideas and I have couple milestones that I want to reach and I have an end game in mind and I just hope I can manage to actually get there this year well fingers crossed that you do too Mm -hmm. so I really enjoy the story and I would love to see it to see where it ends up so kind of transitioning to your writing style are you a plotter pantser or plantser to go with even more terminology, I think I'm a gardener. A gardener. Oh, I like that. But I can plot, but I usually don't. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I write for fun mm-hmm. and kind of not knowing all the parts of the story uh, and having it unfold and develop kind of almost organically, naturally, is what makes it fun for me. So if I plot every little detail, then it almost feels like the story is already there and it's already been told. And then what's the point of me sitting down and writing it? So I won't do that. I'm, I'm kind of like, if it, when it comes to fake, I'm almost like, I'm kind of like a tourist. Mm-hmm. So I got my, I don't know, I got my backpack, I got my snacks, I got my map. Uh, I got my, I don't know, postcards and I know which sites I want to see and who gets a postcard, but 
how I get to those sites, I usually don't know. So I'm going to end up on detours and I'm going to get lost and stumble across sites and places that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. But in the end, I'm going to end up where I wanted to go. I just don't know how to get from A to B just yet. That makes sense. So kind of going backwards, what was it like researching or did you have to do any research for the something to be earned fix? I did a little research, but not a lot because some parts of it are drawn from real life and some parts are research. Mm-hmm. Those parts that are research, it's mostly just me Googling stuff and making doubly sure that I have the English terminology right because English is not my first language and I kind of want to be like not perfect but correct in the terminology that I use so it's mostly like I know the concept but I need to like learn the words to use um, so that it makes sense in a foreign language or foreign language for me. So being a non- native speaker what are some of the pitfalls you've noticed about um having to write in english or yeah write in english for like fan fiction and things Mm, well it's basically you're playing in the sandbox with one arm tied behind your back like you can still play and it's still fun but sometimes it it gets frustrating because you would like to like dig in the sand with both your hands Mm -hmm. sometimes and you just can't do that and then if you start to compare your writing to that of a really skilled native speaker writer it's going to be really frustrating really quick so Mm -hmm. I think for that uh, and I know a lot of writers who write in their non- dominant language or in their second third fourth whatever language uh they struggle with this too but i think the 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 healthiest approach would be to approach writing like you would uh, language learning because i've worked as as a language teacher before Mm -hmm. and what you notice is that um, especially older learners kids not so much but like teens and adults they get scared to speak so they don't speak in class and then they don't engage with native speakers um, because they are scared to make mistakes. They mm-hmm. are ashamed of their accents. So they don't practice and they don't speak because they think in their heads that the goal is to speak perfectly and to make no mistakes and to sound whatever they think they should sound like. So some of them have a role model. So in terms of accent or um, what they would like to achieve. And the thing is, um, like with uh, language learning, the goal is not to speak perfectly, but to communicate. So successful communication is key. And for writing, the point is not to tell the story perfectly, but to tell the story. So, um, if you keep reminding yourself of that, that it's okay if you if you mess up a word or if you get some of the um like if you use too little commas or too many commas or whatever that is fine and if you're not uh as poetic 
or if your vocabulary isn't as thick as that of a really wordy native speaker, that is fine because it's not the goal um, to be a perfect writer in that language. Um, it's uh, the goal is to to tell your story how you like to tell it. So, and you can do that without your language skills being um, like uh, on par with that of a native speaker. That was a really wordy way of explaining it. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, you know, it makes complete sense because like when I was trying to learn another language so that I could interact with this person, I was very hesitant to actually do it. So I would always default to the language we both knew, even though I really wanted to speak in their native tongue. It's just that I was always afraid that I would be saying it so terribly that it would turn them off and and it would just sour the possibilities of what could happen. But as I've gotten a little bit more older and aware of how things can and can't go, I'm like, you don't learn how to walk on the first day. You know, you learn Mm -hmm. how to walk by taking tentative steps, falling on your ass, getting back up, falling on your ass, like standing back up, taking the steps. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we, I know sometimes people are not as kind when you're learning. They just expect you to know. And so it's like a two-way open space, I think, or um, an understanding space that sometimes gets forgotten too. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think it does. Yeah, definitely. So no, yeah. And you only get better through practice, really. So even if you are yeah. a key writer at first, you'll get better through constant work over and over and over again. <laughs> so. even, even if you don't get better or not a lot better, Mm-hmm. really quickly that is fine too like if you still if if you can tell your story in a way that you like to tell it with the means that you already have mm-hmm. that is fine like the the mindset of like faster better higher all the time it doesn't always make sense when applied to writing because mm-hmm. to me writing first and foremost is about having fun it's okay if it's not like perfect isn't isn't really the goal here at all. No, it's not. You know, I wonder if comics came out of the need to have like maybe someone wasn't good at explaining facial expressions. And so instead they're like they wrote the dialogue and then they drew a picture of the facial expression they want. Like, well now I'm kinda of wondering what the history of a comic strip is. Because mm. you know, I'm like you only have the dialogue and you have none of the um, exposition and narrative that explains the facial expressions or whatever's going on with the dialogue, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like a nice shortcut that does the same thing. And if you've drawn really well, you'll hit that heartstring like you can with good words. It's kind of a off tangent kind of thing, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's really interesting. It's, it's something to research for sure, because I, I would like to know if that is if that is connected or if it's just random. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but also if you have to limit yourself to like two or three pictures or panels, I think that's actually harder than just putting it in words. But maybe that is like speaking as a writer because I'm really 
wordy. So mm -hmm. I will write 10 words where maybe one or two would have sufficed. So to try and limit myself in that way that I only give myself three pictures to convey uh, a mood or an emotion that I would usually have taken, I don't know, 10 paragraphs to explore in detail, that's mm -hmm. kind of daunting. That's true. But I mean, using just one singular word is also very, has its pitfalls because that word could have multiple meanings and, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't exactly convey the nuance as saying like her eyes fluttered closed as her the tears brimmed her eyes, sadness casting over her features at the thought of being left behind, you know, there's a, mm -hmm. these are simple words, but the picture you've just illustrated It's like 10 times more clearer than a grimace or a, um, what's another sad, empathetic sigh. You know, it's, there's, mm -hmm. there's a time and a place and it all depends on how much visceral reaction you want to pull from your audience and your readers that you'll use certain words. I'm like, not everyone has big vocabularies either. You know, some people have simple words that they use very well. That's actually a skill that I admire because I can't really do that. I struggle with getting to the point sometimes. So I try to layer it on really thick or I explain it too much. And I don't know if that is also a language thing. If I do this because it's not my first language and sometimes I feel like more words are needed to get the point across. Or if it's, it's a me thing because I like details. Like I'm really attuned to to details, so I, that kind of translates into my stories as well. I've been told that I do this like stream of consciousness, detailed writing really well, mm -hmm. but sometimes that's annoying. So I admire writers who can just be like they they're gonna stab you right in the heart with like three simple words, and you're like, wow, right? Those hard emotions are like my favorite. I hate them, but I love them all rolled into one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, ah, oh, that hurts so bad. Now I must continue. <laughs> But no, what I also like about your something to be Aaron is that you intersperse it with, what does Andrea speak? Spanish, right? Yeah. With Spanish. And then at the very end, you explain what it is. And then you kind of explain the history of the word too. And you, you give more than just the translation. You give mm -hmm. um, whatever it's called. I forgot what it's called. What are those explanations you give? Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a one-word way of saying it, actually, but it's it's like the the background. So I give yeah. Depending on what the word is, I will give I don't know historical details or cultural details or even just grammar details. So what kind of voice is this mm -hmm. verb or whatever, but Actually, I'm kind of thrilled that you said you like that because that is me. That is my inner nerd mm -hmm. showing through because like, as I said, I'm a linguist. I'm a language nerd. I, I love languages. I love learning languages. I speak a bunch badly. Uh -huh. So it's really it's it's so much fun to write a character who's bilingual or multilingual because I know what that's like. I know the the brain farts and the funny word jumbles you end up with or mm -hmm. the frustration you feel when you have a word that perfectly expresses what you want to say in one language 
but there's no word or similar expression in mm-hmm. your target language. That is the worst feeling in the world because you're you, you you're kind of forced to use 30 words to mm-hmm. explain the thing that one language has one word to explain and you're still not getting the point. Yes, because the nuance is also in the transference of language understanding and mm-hmm. the situation of shared experiences. That's always yeah. a fun, I think, but I think, but I could be wrong. So, yeah, uh, but it's definitely fun to write that way because uh, I think Andrea being bilingual, mm-hmm. like the show touches on that a little bit, but they mm-hmm. don't do it much. And I think they should do it more. Because at least to me, it adds to the character. It, it adds to who she is as a person. And it adds um, layers and background that I don't necessarily, like, I don't have to explain it. I can just show it in the way she acts and speaks and what kind of food she likes and mm-hmm. these kind of And it's also really fun. Like, you asked me about research earlier. I think mm-hmm. that is what I did most research on, actually, because... I do speak Spanish, but it's like my fourth or fifth language and I haven't used it in years. And being the nerd that I am, uh, I'm trying to make sure that I'm not just using Spanish, Spanish, so Peninsula Spanish, so what's spoken in Spain. But since Andrea is from Argentina, I'm trying to use that dialect or that Spanish that they speak there specifically in the mm-hmm. Buenos Aires region, because that is different from the rest of the country, actually. And mm-hmm. it, I've, I've been down a rabbit hole or 10 <laughs> about <laughs> some expression that I wanted to use or some words that I wanted to use. So that's been fun. I mean, for me, it also kind of harkens back to the relationship and the history they have, because Andrea will say a word in Spanish and Lena will say something in English in response to the Spanish word. So mm-hmm. she learned it because Andrea said it so often when they were together or she actually knows the language, but she doesn't speak it. If she, Why doesn't she speak it? So it might simply be that the development of this relationship that they've had, because I mean, she uses it when she's praising her. She uses it when she's scolding her. She's using it to make a point. Mm-hmm. There's, there's that... Um, Oh, that's for me. I could be wrong because I could be misinterpreting your story, that portion of the story. Um, no, no, it, it makes perfect sense. But also, Lena doesn't speak it usually. But if you look closely, there's one moment in the story where she does. Mm-hmm. Like when they have that little breakdown talk in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Lena opens up about Kara, that's when she speaks Spanish. It's just sentence or two at least that's my headcanon that she knows the language and she understands but she usually like she doesn't speak normally like she she reverts back to english because that's what she's more comfortable with but Mm -hmm. she can speak spanish if she wants to but it makes it makes perfect sense because if they've been together for years and years and like not even romantically but we know that they knew each other from school. So mm-hmm. to me, it makes perfect sense that like you, you, you're going to pick up certain words that your friends use, certain phrases that your friends use. And if your friends happen to be multilingual, mm-hmm. that's going to rub off on you. And if you fall in love with that person, 
mm-hmm. you're probably going to be interested in learning the language and learning about the culture. And the best way to learn about a culture is to learn about the language as well. Mm-hmm. These are always connected. So it makes sense to me that Lena learned Spanish for Andrea, like, because she also, she understands Andrea, but Andrea is speaking Argentinian dialect. So that is what Lena understands because it's Andrea. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But, you know, I, it, it goes again to that history thing and getting to know each other through this, the relationship, whatever that dynamic is, either BDSM or just close proximity, like you were talking about, you know? Like I have a friend mm-hmm. who speaks another language and every so often she would just speak to me in another language. And every so often I understood her because she used the same phrases so often when she would speak. It's not yeah. like I could repeat them myself with my tongue because, well, for one thing, I didn't practice. But when she says it to me, I know what she's saying. So mm-hmm. even Definitely. if I can't speak it, I understand what she's saying. Yeah. So. If you if you're happen to develop uh, a crush on set friend, or if you end up in a relationship with set friend, you're going to try and practice and try to repeat what they are saying to you. Because at least that's been my experience. I don't think, I don't think I would have become a linguist or a language nerd or speak as many languages as I do if I hadn't fallen in love with at least half of my teachers. Like ah. that's a sir. Because you don't do all that work <laughs> just for fun or to get like top grades. You do that because you're gonna try and impress whatever teacher you have a stupid crush on. Yes, I agree. Being able to talk to someone in their own language and form connections in that language is it's just great. And it's kind of also one of the reasons that I started the podcast was to be able to talk to different people who are normal, you know, like you are a normal everyday person who goes to work, you are, you do your thing, you write these beautiful stories, you write these intriguing stories, and then you kind of just live your life and whatever makes up that life is what's interesting about what you're writing. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. your Whatever is going around in your world, like you were saying, how you might see someone from across a, across from you on the subway, will end up in your stories. It's exactly that. We get to meet people somewhat through their stories, but then like being mm-hmm. able to talk to them and ask them about, well, how do you come up with the ideas? What kind of informs you? And all those the beautiful facets of what make it into the multifaceted story of what you're doing you know how else is they're going to employ this voice that they make and we're all just people making stories living our lives and sometimes somebody else wants to know about it there are people who are transgender who are sharing that message of their story and people who are figuring out their sexuality and figuring out whether or not they like who they are and you know, it's just fucking beautiful, man. I just love it. Sorry. I agree with everything you just said. And also like stories before we had writing and books, like Mm -hmm. humans are storytellers at heart. So Mm -hmm. I think telling a story and having your real life experiences bleed into that story somewhat 
Mm-hmm. It actually also opens the door for conversations to be had on the topics that you you touched upon, or it opens doors for people to ask you uh, about these things that you write about. So, mm-hmm. um, like, it hasn't happened so much lately, but when I first started writing um, explicit stories, I had people come to me uh, and shoot me messages and to ask me about the things that I wrote about, like maybe mm-hmm. something wasn't clear or they they had further questions about a certain, I don't know, certain thing that I touched upon uh, and it kind of, it got the conversation started. So mm-hmm. they were like, hey, I really like your story and you wrote about this and that character doing this thing and I was wondering like how does that actually work or why do people like that or am I weird if I like that so Mm -hmm. I think stories can also be like a safe way to not only explore your own interests but also to engage uh, um, with people in conversation about it. That's true. And what better excuse can you use to be able to research BDSM lifestyle than saying, oh, I'm writing a story about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're like, I can, I can be upfront without being upfront for what it is I want. But, um, yeah. So I am a, I am not a fan of research. I like talking to people to find things out. That's my shtick. But, you know, not everybody wants to share. So research. Yeah, I think both is good. Talking is good. Research is good. Like, I don't want, like, whoever is monitoring my search history, I don't Uh want them to ask me questions about it. Uh Uh-huh. Because my search history is weird. Like, and my only defense is, hey, I'm a writer, so don't take any of that too seriously, please. Exactly. but, But, Yeah. It's a nice little rug to sweep shed under if you don't really want to own it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about self-care during these times because the pandemic has been freaking nuts and it's starting to finally calm down a bit, but there's still some things. And during this time, it would have been so easy to go crazy. So what kind of helped you to maintain who you are or just self-care in general? Um, well, I do, or I did, like, during lockdown, the first lockdown, I, I did lots of baking mm-hmm. and cooking and gardening. I'm kind of not good with balance because mm-hmm. my brain usually confuses rest with boredom. Mm-hmm. And boredom is actually physically painful to me. I try and avoid that at all costs normally. Because mm-hmm. I'm, like, as a person... I only have one switch and that switch is either on or off. Mm-hmm. There is no middle ground, but the pandemic kind of like, it's slowly teaching me to respect my limits a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like if you're struggling with that, I think my advice would be like, recognize your limits and you can push yourself to be better and push those limits. Sometimes but like, don't burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. Like, recognize when you can push and when it's okay to drop a ball. Because like, there's this saying that goes like, not all the balls are glass. So some of them are plastic, and you can drop a plastic ball, and the world is not gonna end. That's true. So, That's true. 
I think it's really about finding a balance between pushing yourself so you don't get bored out of your skull mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to rest and enjoy the, the little things when you can. Actually, I think the pandemic kind of helped with that, teaching me that. Yeah, the pandemic has definitely been a very good teacher of certain things. Like, I don't think I would have ever started this podcast if I didn't have to live through a pandemic. <laughs> mm-hmm. I probably would have just kept dreaming about starting a podcast and then never actually do it and just live my life hollowed away into my job and hating it. So I have to say there was a silver lining, but it it has been weird to not be able to see each other or go shopping without this ripped fear of possible germs you can't see more mm-hmm. than usual, at least for me. But yeah. Yes. Same thing. Like I miss hugging people mm-hmm. and like being close to people and I don't know, singing together, cooking together, like just being together in small spaces, but also like it's been a year and, and then some, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of worried about what it's going to be like once all those restrictions are lifted. Like it's going to be so weird. Yes. I'm already wondering what it's going to be like, because like I'm both excited to not have to wear my mask, but terrified to not have to wear my mask. So exactly. I'm like, I can wear my mask. Maybe the whole, if I want to wear it because I feel a little afraid of germs today, there won't be such a stigma against it with like going to work. Cause like when I used to work at a place, I couldn't wear a mask if I was feeling a little sick. They're like, you can't wear a mask. But like in Japan, it's completely normalized to wear a mask, even if you're like on the sales floor of a department store, because it's like you wear a mask to protect others. So it's okay. But like here, it was very abnormal, but not kind of normal. So if like you can still wear a mask and go out when you want to, I'm like, I'm kind of all for that. Yeah, I think we should keep the masks, like make them optional so Mm -hmm. you can wear them when you like and nobody looks at you weird, but you also Mm -hmm. don't have. I think that would be perfect. That would be perfect, actually. I have to agree. Yeah, but I'm kind of looking forward to to the whole pandemic thing being over and to like meeting people again. Because the other day I was making like a friend brought me this new cookbook that has different recipes from like the African continent Ooh. and made these I, I can't pronounce them sorry I don't know I don't want to butcher the name but they're basically fried dough pockets with Ooh. like a savory filling in them oh. and like a ton of spices mm-hmm. and they were amazing and I was losing my mind because like I want to cook for somebody I want to I don't know get back into dating and Mm -hmm. like cook for somebody and you cannot do that during a damn pandemic Mm -mm. so I need this to be over now so I can cook for somebody yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was funny because like I was just coming into figuring out that I liked girls and getting comfortable with it and I was like okay I have mainly straight friends right and so when I was starting to try to find more lesbian friends the pandemic hits and I'm like, ah, shit, I was going to go like do hiking groups and all kinds of things. And suddenly it's basically dangerous. And Mm. so I'm just like, oh, well, this sucks ass. (laughs) So now I'm like, okay, now I have to do this again and try to find more lesbian friends again and make more lesbian friends. 
I feel like that's yeah. just a stupid thing to say. But the good thing is, is that I've been making a lot of writer friends who are lesbians. Well, that is two birds with one stone. Right? <laughs> yeah, but they're like all over the, the they're all over the world. So it's like more reason uh, to travel. I know exactly. But then I'm like, I gotta find some here friends, lesbian <laughs> friends, so I might be able to find someone to date. And you know, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to get married maybe at one point or at least have some sort of partnership. <laughs> yeah, it would be like, it's, it's more fun to do it together. Like, especially mm-hmm. if you're like, I haven't been alone the whole time during the pandemic because we had a little bit of a crazy living situation going on at one point. Mm-hmm. But like in general, I think the pandemic also drives home the point that it really sucks to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. It would be more bearable to have somebody with you, mm-hmm. I think. Like, I know that people in not so happy relationships, they're in dire situations right now. And mm-hmm. like, families are stretched to their last nerve, mm-hmm. like, trying to juggle kids and work and I don't know, chores or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's kind of doing this by yourself is also hard. Yeah, and it's not exactly like I live alone. I take care of my dad, but he doesn't talk to me. So, like, mm-hmm. I might as well be alone because I'm taking care of someone who barely acknowledges me. And yeah. I have to cook for them. I have to take care of them. I have to get them to places. I have to manage their life. And it, it just feels like I've got this thing attached to me that I have to take care of, who I love. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. there's no connection. And so the only connection I have are my three animals who just stare at me mostly or talk to me in a, a language I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, meow. I'm like, okay, yeah. I don't know what you want. But now it would definitely be nice to find someone to have to go through lockdown with at some point again. If that ever happens, yeah, knock on wood. Hopefully we're never going to do that again. Please, let's not do that again. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we're, I don't know about you, but we, we are still in lockdown. We've uh-huh. been, I think it's the second or third lockdown. We, like, we, we lifted those briefly for some mm-hmm. weeks last summer, but we've been in complete lockdown since last November. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea what the world outside my door even looks like. At least oh. it feels that way. I mean, I've been outside and I'm doing things that I like shopping and going mm-hmm. for walks meeting people so people socially distanced but like I don't want to ever do that again whether or not I'm in a relationship at whatever point in time that's gonna happen like let's not do that again this Mm -hmm. sucks yeah it really really does but um no we're pretty open um they opened it up to tourism and so like you see these tourists all over the um, Waikiki and stuff so it's been it's been weird seeing more and more people around our tiny little island. I'm that like crazy though. Like tourism, I can't even picture it because uh, like here everything is closed. Like schools are closed. So everything. Uh, yeah. Like you can still buy groceries and you can go to the doctor and you can, I don't know, go for walks or take your dog or whatever. But like the shops are closed. The schools are closed. Nothing's happening. It's wild tourism. Huh. Yeah, I don't, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. One is for our government and two, it brings in new germs. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an odd place to be at. 
So what has it been like getting used to the new new normal there where you're, you telework? Yeah. Well, let's say working from home, mm-hmm. it has its benefits, mm-hmm. but I hate it with a passion. <laughs> like it's, I, I don't want to do it anymore. It's not like I have a choice because uh-huh. um, like I work in education and we are sort of open, but only sort of. And we, like the office space we have, it's really cramped. So I'm usually sharing my little shoebox of an office with another colleague permanently. And then we have student staff also sitting with us. So there is no way, we cannot distance in that Mm -hmm. space. So we are not allowed back into our offices until we are probably all fully vaccinated or whatever. So like I will be working from home for the rest of the year at least. And that's been kind of tricky because I don't have, or I didn't used to have a home office Mm -hmm. um, where I live. And I have like two of everything on my desk right now. So (laughs) two screens and two keyboards and two computers and everything is everywhere. And I hate it. And I hate video calls and I hate like phone conferences. And I, it's just not how I like to work. And I really miss like the social interaction with all the colleagues. Like, I don't know, getting lunch together, drinking tea, mm-hmm. just chatting in the hallways. That just doesn't happen anymore. And, but I've kind of made peace with it because there's no, it's not going to change anytime soon. And that's also what's kept me busy outside of work because we are slowly trying to convert a room, a spare room that used to be part of a guest room. And now we're converting the first room into a home office for me so that I get like a proper space to work in. Because that's Mm -hmm. been tricky, like not being able to close the door and feel like you're done with work for the day. Because if you work in your living room, like work is always there with you. Yeah. I gotcha. I mean, for myself, I try to keep like having to do household things separate from like my writing and my podcasting. So they're done in two separate rooms. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's also easy to not do what I need to do for the home office. So it's like, uh, yeah, I got to go in there because sometimes it's just more fun writing and podcasting. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, you definitely want to be able to create space to not have to see the work because then it, you can't shut off. You always feel like you have to be on, you have to be available. You have to be there for someone else and kind of force yourself, I think, to the wayside. Maybe mm-hmm. if, if that's what I'm understanding you're saying, but yeah, I, you know, I couldn't imagine like having to be a mom and have kids and having no privacy at all. And then you're constantly having to see a computer screen that basically helps you pay for them. That would, yeah. that would be so depressing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how, like, more people haven't gone, like, clinically insane by now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they say that mental health issues are on the rise everywhere, Mm -hmm. especially, like, with with the kids and the teens, Mm because school's been out for so long, Mm -hmm. and homeschooling doesn't really work, because that's not a thing that is usually done here. So Mm -hmm. if you have the structures already in place, that probably works, but they they had to just cobble it together like with a hot needle in the the beginning and it's still not working and the kids are losing their minds, but I get it. Like I get why people are 
slowly but surely losing their minds over this especially if you don't have self-care routine in place or if you don't like there are people who cannot afford to the time to take care of themselves right now because they are like trying to make ends meet and then like a bubble bath is is not going to do it and then if you cannot do the usual things you do and you don't have your outlets anymore be that Mm -hmm. I don't know running or going to the gym or meeting friends or going for a beer or whatever or speaking of fan fiction and bdsm and everything like you cannot meet people to play you can't like what do you do that's true it's yeah like i miss going to the gym right now but i'm not willing because the gym i go to it's like a class instructor so the space is small and it's hot so it's like breathing in hot air And then having to breathe through a mask, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I can't, Mm -hmm. no. But like, I missed my gym. I'm like, I want to go back. But um, I'd rather keep my health and all that jazz. I I hope that it at least, because I know for myself, I've learned some to be grateful for what I'm now missing out on. It makes you you appreciate what you had and what you have more. Mm -hmm. And it also kind of helps to get your like priorities straight like to to reflect on what you really mm-hmm. like what you really want in life like if you take a moment and you are forced to just sit at home and be still and do nothing but work i think inevitable that you think about like what what is it that i miss what is it that i need and mm-hmm. if once you open that kind of conversation with yourself or with other people discussing like what what like what do i need to be happy what does our relationship need to be a good one, a good, fulfilling, happy one, then like, that's a good thing to come out of all this mess, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. I also think it it gave people time to wake up. It's like maybe they didn't have the ability to see what was going on because they were just so stuck in the rat race and the rat race kind of ground to a halt in certain areas, Mm -hmm. you know? And then we got to see just how important our um, grocery store workers and our um, drugstore workers were and how much it is that we need them much more than we need the blue collar workers in like stock forms and other places that don't produce, that don't offer us anything we really need, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe we need to start honoring them in some way besides trying to pay them as cheaply as possible. Yeah. So this is probably a good place to stop unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about. I I think we're good. Nice. All right. So thank you for coming on and joining me today. I had a really good time and I enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. All right. And we're out. If you would like to connect with today's guests, check out the episode's description. Also, I'm always looking for new fandom ships, artists, and writers. So visit my website, ayakaspencer.com, where you can submit your suggestions, find links to follow me on social media, become a supporter, and find out who is coming up next. Until next time, thank you for listening.